I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Judges in chapter 11. As we come now to God's Word, let us pray. Our Father God, we pray that your Word would do its work among us to your glory by your Spirit. And we pray these things for Jesus' name, uh, for Jesus' glory and in his name. Amen. So, friends, uh, the book of Judges, chapter 11, and I'm going to read to us from this part of the Old Testament, part of the Bible, from verse 1 through to verse uh, 28. Judges, chapter 11, and beginning at verse 1. Let's hear God's word. Now, Jephthah... The Gileadite was a mighty warrior, but he was the son of a prostitute. Gilead was the father of Jephthah, and Gilead's wife also bore him sons. When his wife's sons grew up, they drove Jephthah out, said to him, You shall not have an inheritance in our father's house, for you are the son of another woman. Jephthah fled from his brothers and lived in the land of Tob. And worthless fellows collected around Jephthah and went out with him. After a time, the Ammonites made war against Israel. And when the Ammonites made war against Israel, the elders of Gilead went to bring Jephthah from the land of Tob. And they said to Jephthah, come and be our leader that we may fight against the Ammonites. But Jephthah said to the elders of Gilead, Did you not hate me and drive me out of my father's house? Why have you come to me now when you are in distress? And the elders of Gilead said to Jephthah, That's why we have turned to you now that you may go with us and fight against the Ammonites and be our head over all the inhabitants of Gilead. Jephthah said to the elders of Gilead, If you bring me home again to fight against the Ammonites and the Lord gives them over to me, I will be your head. And the elders of Gilead said to Jephthah, The Lord will be witness between us if we do not do as you say. So Jephthah went with the elders of Gilead, and the people made him head and leader over them. And Jephthah spoke all his words before the Lord at Mizpah. Then Jephthah sent messengers messengers to the king of the Ammonites and said, What do you have against me that you have come to me to fight against my land? And the king of the Ammonites answered the messengers of Jephthah, Because Israel, on coming up from Egypt, took away my land from the Arnon to the Jabbok and to the Jordan, now therefore restore it peaceably. Jephthah again sent messengers to the king of the Ammonites and said to him, Thus says Jephthah, Israel did not take away the land of Moab or the land of the Ammonites, but when they came up from Egypt, Israel went through the wilderness to the Red Sea and came to Kadesh. Israel then sent messengers to the king of Edom, saying, Please let us pass through your land. But the king of Edom would not listen. And they sent also to the king of Moab, but he would not consent, so Israel remained at Kadesh. Then they journeyed through the wilderness and went around the land of Edom and the land of Moab and arrived on the east side of the land of Moab and camped on the other side of the Arnon, but they did not enter the territory of Moab, for the Arnon was the boundary of Moab. Israel then sent messengers to Sihon, king of the Amorites, king of Heshbon, and Israel said to him, Please let us pass through your land to our country. 
But Sihon did not trust Israel to pass through his territory, so Sihon gathered all his people together and encamped Jehaz and fought with Israel. And the Lord, the God of Israel, gave Sihon and all his people into the hand of Israel, and they defeated them. So Israel took possession of all the land of the Amorites who inhabited that country, and they took possession of all the territory of the Amorites from the Arnon to the Jabbok and from the wilderness to the Jordan. So then the Lord, the God of Israel, dispossessed the Amorites from before his people. And are you to take possession of them? Will you not possess what Chemosh, your God, gives you to possess? And all that the Lord our God has dispossessed before us, we will possess Now, are you any better than Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab? Did he ever contend against Israel? Or did he ever go to war with them? While Israel lived in Heshbon and its villages, and Aroah and its villages, and all the cities are on the banks of the Arnon, 300 years, why did you not deliver them within that time? I therefore have not sinned against you, and you do me wrong by making war on me. The Lord, the judge, decide this day between the people of Israel and the people of Ammon. But the king of the Ammonites did not listen to the words of Jephthah that he sent to him. If it should strike your fancy that the one thing you really want to do is to pick a fight with someone, I have a way that you can achieve that end. Say to that person, I want you to submit to me. I mean, try it one day. Go into a bar and pick out the biggest guy you can find. Look him right in the eye and say, submit. And see what happens. The word submit thrown away, thrown around in religious church circles because, of course, it's a Bible word, has gathered with it connotations that are very, very far removed from what the Bible means by it. I confess before you, my dear friends, that when I hear the word submit, in my mind's eye, my imagination, I am taken back to when I was 10 years old playing recess at a school of only boys in the early 1980s. Or maybe it was the 1970s, who knows. And in those far-off days, boys were left to be, to sort out their fights for themselves. And they would fight and fight and fight. And the only way to establish who had actually won was for the poor smaller boy to finally cry out to his bigger adversary, submit. So, to be frank, when I hear the word submit, that's what I think of. I think of a sweaty tussle between two ill-washed eight-year-olds in the 1980s fighting in the playground in recess. Perhaps you think of MMA, mixed martial arts, when someone gets someone in a stress position and his adversary taps out to submit. Of course, we use the word in more neutral terms sometimes. You submit a paper or you make an argument, I humbly submit to you. 
But by and large, it has these negative ideas. And yet here, in our story, we have Jephthah being made the head. And Israel submitting. And all these other peoples being asked to submit too. It's a very difficult thing to get our mind around. What I want to suggest to you this morning is that actually biblical godly submission, and you need all those phrases around it, biblical godly submission, is subversive of legalism and deceptive lies. It actually allows us to be back in the realm of freedom under God. Well, we're going to need to think carefully to make sure we understand accurately. The passage here has Jephthah at its heart. And Jephthah, of course, was rejected and yet was used by God. And essentially what the passage is telling us is that God delights to use even rejects like Jephthah when we submit to him, to God, and listen to him, to God. God delights to use even rejects like Jephthah when we submit to him, to God, and listen to him, to God. So first of all, God delights to use rejects. Look down with me, if you will, to your Bibles in the first three verses, and you'll see there Jephthah being described. It starts off all very normally, doesn't it? He was a mighty warrior. But very soon we find he's the son of a prostitute. And because, as it were, Jephthah had been born on the wrong side of the bed, his family reject him. Uh, verse 2, they drive Jephthah out. They say to him, you shall not have an inheritance in our father's house, for you are the son of another woman. Here we are in church, and we have just listened to some high-end classical music, and we're surrounded by people who look well-groomed, but I guarantee you there are people here who were born uh, out of wedlock. There may well be someone here whose mother was a prostitute, a true Jephthah. I also would not be at all surprised if there are people here who themselves have been prostitutes. You should not think that trafficking, sex trafficking, is a factor of a bygone era. It's prevalent today. In fact, there are people in this own area who are giving their lives to try to help women and even young girls who have been caught up in the evil web of sex trafficking. You may be a Jephthah. You may be the mother of a Jephthah. And here you are in church, and you're asking yourself, is there a place for you? 
And God's answer is yes. Not only is there a place for you, it could be that you, with your experiences, many of them evil, have been specifically shaped with the bruises and abuse that you have had for a higher purpose. That's a strange idea, isn't it? But God delights to use rejects. It is his pattern. I'm not encouraging you to become a Jephthah so that you might be used by God. There are many people here who are more like the Apostle Paul, highly educated, sophisticated. God uses those people too if they are humble. But here, the message this morning and this passage is aimed at the Jephthahs, those who feel rejected. Jephthah was. He had to, verse 3, flee from his family, and he lives in the land of Tob, and we're told worthless fellows gathered around him. In other words, uh, what the passage is saying is that Jephthah collected around him a group of desperados, a sort of mafiosa gang, militaristic probably. That's probably why the elders of Gilead went to him. He knew how to fight. Sort of wild, wild west group of living on the outskirts of society Cowboys. Jephthah. God can use you. It may be that God's people even need you as they needed Jephthah. But there is a condition, of course, uh, for all of us. Uh, God uses even rejects when we submit to him and listen to him. Well, the second point, submit to him, is in the middle of the passage from verse 4 to verse 11. And at the end of it, as you will remember when we read it out, Jephthah uh, is made head and leader over God's people, over the elders of Gilead in verse 11. But this is not just Jephthah becoming boss and everyone submitting to him. This is an indication of their submitting to God. That's why we're told Jephthah spoke all his words before the Lord at Mizpah. He's making a covenant with God's people that they'll have God as their king now. They'll follow God. They'll submit to God. In fact, the way the story is told, there are other uh, more subtle narrative techniques that are used to bring out this point that this is a submission to God. The way that Jephthah relates to the elders of Gilead is a mirror image of the way God himself had related to God's people. You may remember from chapter 10, God at first said no to their plea for rescue and only afterwards said yes. Well, Jephthah does exactly the same. And the narrator is saying that in the person of Jephthah, surprisingly, God is using him to rescue his people if they will submit to God. 
Same pattern, same mirror image. What is more, I think most remarkably, when in chapter 10, God's people said, in their desperation of repentance, as we saw last week, do to us whatever seems good to you. That word good in the Hebrew is the same word as the geographical location of Jephthah, Tob. They're saying, do to us whatever seems good. And when they really are desperate, where do they send? They send to the place of good, Tob. You have to read the Bible carefully, you know. All these stories have messages in them that point us to the gospel. Of course, the theme there is that God is sovereign, even over the mess of Jephthah, even over a prostitute, and even over their rejection of a prostitute. Worse still, God has planned good. And in the mess of our own lives, with all our brokenness and chaos, God is weaving a pattern of tobe, good. When we submit to him, then we'll receive it. When Rochelle and I sometimes go uh, back to England with our family, we do on occasion just to catch up and go back to our roots and all that sort of thing and drink some warm beer um, uh, or maybe a cup of tea. Is that, is that better to say? Um, one time we were back visiting her mother she, her mother lives in uh, North Yorkshire which is a beautiful part of the country it's a few hours north of London and that time when we were back in North Yorkshire the well known Tour de France was actually taking place in England rather surprisingly it's a European cycle race and it was going through England it was going through the Yorkshire Moors and actually the route of the Tour de France that year, went right by Rochelle's mother's house. And so, of course, all the family got out there and stood along with the hordes of other people to cheer along the cyclists. It's really amazing to be that close to those cyclists. I mean, you watch it on TV, you think they're going fast. But you stand right next to them, and it's it's unbelievable the speed of those people. Those of us who are cyclists will know that there's a technique to why they're always in groups until one gets to the head. And that technique is you have a leader and the others are sort of in the slipstream. And they can, it, it takes less effort if you're behind the leader and then, and then at the right moment you can get ahead. Some of us Christians, I think, treat following God or submitting to him, a bit like that. We'll follow him, we'll sort of be in his slipstream, but the real intention is to get what we want. We're still the head when we have the opportunity. And we'll go through the motions. We'll say the creed and read our Bible. But when push comes to shove and the Bible tells us something that runs counter to our preferences, oh yeah, God uses even rejects. But there is a condition. When we 
submit to him. All these words were spoken before the Lord at Mizpah. When we submit to him and therefore listen to him. Now, I won't go into all the details of what's going on from verse 12 to verse 28, but essentially what you're having here is a clash of worldviews. As a sidebar, remember, we're reading the Old Testament as New Testament Christians. And so when we look back to the narrative of the book of Judges, in the end, the story of the Bible lands at the feet of Jesus at the cross. And all this is fulfilled in the gospel that we proclaim here at College Church and every biblical church proclaims that goes to all nations. And different Christians have different frameworks for interpretation of the land in the Old Testament. My own conviction is that the land is fulfilled in the person of Jesus. And as we take that message of Jesus to the ends of the earth, we are spreading his kingdom when people come to faith in him. And it's finally fulfilled when that kingdom finally and fully arrives in the new heaven and the new earth. That's today the land. But this is Old Testament land, and Israel had been sent to the promised land. And what you have here in this part of the story is a clash of worldviews about the land. Obviously, the Ammonites are saying, it's ours. How dare you take it from us? And Jephthah is saying, no, you've misunderstood. Actually, you have treated us badly. And behind this is the clear evidence of the Bible. And I believe, I did some research on this some years ago at some length, of the best of scholarship on it, that the ancient peoples that were removed from the land were kicked out because of their gross immorality. And without wanting to turn this sermon into an R-rated movie, when you read that they worship the Baals and, uh, and his female consort, Ash, Ashtoreth, what you need to understand is that part of that worship was not only sexual immorality, almost certainly, but also child sacrifice. And what you also need to understand is God said to his people that if they gave themselves to the Baals and the Ashtoreths also, they would be removed from the land, as they were. And what Jephthah is saying here is, no, we have the right on our side. But the Ammonites, verse 28, did not listen. And, of course, the point of the text is we should listen. The reason why they didn't listen is because they had a different worldview. It's a clash of worldviews. Don't. I know here we are at College Church, and you think worldview sounds like a sort of intellectual academic thing, and it's all very theoretical, and it's not very practical. Nothing could be more pragmatic or down-to-earth than the worldview that you adopt. That is the way you look at the world around you. It is the most practical thing you will ever get clear in your life. Let me give you an illustration of this. Perhaps you like to drive, and it will depend on whether you listen to God's Word or not in his, his life. Here's the illustration. Perhaps you like to drive. I guess most of us do. And if you drive, you'll know that in different cities and in different parts of the world, driving habits are quite different. Uh, driving in Wheaton, you come to a four-way stop, stop, 
And everyone is so nice and so polite, it takes you like half an hour to get through the thing. Right? And I'm not complaining. Don't stop it. I mean, it's wonderful. It's not, you know, you can smile and wave and, you know, and you can pray for them as they go and all that sort of thing. But then you go downtown Chicago. And it's a little bit different, isn't it? You know the definition of a millisecond? A millisecond is the length of time it takes from the traffic, the stoplight in front of you going from red to green and the guy behind you honking his horn. That's a millisecond. Move! Well, certainly in New York City. They're nicer in Chicago than in New York City, I think. With all forgiveness offered to those who live in Manhattan who are either here or listening online or whatever. But the, the point is, different... There are different worldviews <laughs> with relation to driving. Say, uh, in your mind's eye, you imagine a 25-year-old man who likes to drive fast. And in his worldview, when he sees the traffic like at yellow, the stoplight at yellow, his response is to floor it, to get through before it turns red. Not that any, any of you ever do that. Imagine that same 25-year-old gets married, they get pregnant, they go to hospital, the baby's born, they bring the baby home in their car. He's now 27 or something. He's got a baby in the back seat, all wrapped up in one of those baby seats that is so well protected you could bounce the baby around and take it through a nuclear war. It'd be just fine. Right? Now what happens when he sees a yellow light? He slows right down. He's got a baby in the back seat. His worldview has changed. And therefore his behavior has changed. Here, immersed in the complexities of near ancient Eastern logic and Old Testament biblical theology, is a fundamental principle of, of being God-centered. God rules the whole earth. And his kingdom and his message is for all peoples across the whole earth. And what someone makes of Jesus is the most important thing they will ever decide in their lives as we look at this through the lens of the New Testament. And if that's our worldview, if we're fundamentally God-centered, it will change everything. It will change where we put our resources. It will change how we invest our time. It will mean we will listen to what God says in his word, not only when it is convenient to us, but especially when it rubs against the grain. Because it is our loving shepherd who is speaking. God delights to use even rejects, even Jephthahs. Jephthah, you are here because God wants you here, and he, he can use even you if you submit to him and listen to him. 
That word submission, it's so... Look at it like this. Say you're on a sailing boat. And you decide, instead of fighting against the wind, you'll put up your sail and run with the wind of the Spirit in your sails now. That's what it means to submit to God. To live life as it was meant to be lived. With the purpose that God has for you. Well, Jephthah was a complicated figure. We're not looking at the second half of chapter 11. It gets even more complicated. You could ask me about that afterwards if you want. But there was one who was rejected. And yet became the cornerstone. And he is our head. And the Bible calls us to submit to him, King Jesus. Let's pray together. Our Father, I want to leave a little bit of space here at the end of this service for the Jephthah. someone who perhaps has been rejected by even religious people, by church. Perhaps they shared some complicated sexual history and they felt like they were cast out. Lord, life is complicated. And yet you are a God of grace and mercy. I pray for the Jephthah that they would know that not only can you use them, you can save them. And there's a message of grace for the the person who was sexually trafficked. Uh, the person who was born out of wedlock. Lord, it's not without condition, though, is it? Your word is very clear that we need to repent and believe, and here there's an offer of grace and mercy on condition, on condition that we submit to you and listen to you and follow you. So again, Lord, I, I want to leave a bit of space to the Jephthah to consider whether they will follow you. Lord, help us to be a place where your gospel is for all who will repent and believe. 
We thank you, Lord, that you do use people like us. All of us are broken in one way or another. We thank you, Lord, that you accept us when others reject us. We pray, Lord, that you would bind up the brokenhearted. And not just bind them up, Lord, but give them purpose. A vision of their lives that they can be used for great things for you, like Jephthah was. But of course, Lord, the model we really follow is the model of your son. Help us to imitate him and follow him. And yes, submit to him. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.